This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. Why can't I set GarageBand so that there's no metronome? I don't need a metronome to record a podcast. Maybe you need like a specific podcasting recording thing, or does everyone do this on GarageBand? No, I think a lot of people do record directly in the GarageBand because it's it's pretty easy to use, but I don't know, there's probably, I mean, we were using Riverside before when, when the virus kept us apart. No metronome, as it turns out, on Riverside.fm. That's true. None. <laughs> Which is good. That's a good feature. There should be no metronomes unless you specifically need metronomes. Metronomes should not be default. I concur. My hair is soaking wet because I flew into the shower right before I came here. <laughs> when I got here, you were still watching the episode. I, I caught your actual <laughs> facial reactions for the last few minutes. I think it's safe to say that this has been a hectic time. Yeah. For everyone. It's weird it's weird because we're all really excited about reopening everything from the pandemic. But at the same time, it like getting back into the swing of things is so difficult. Yeah. I have made so many scheduling mistakes in my job <laughs> in the last week and a half. <laughs> And, of course, all of it is like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, everybody. My job's not that hard. <laughs> Listen, you and me both. I mean, my job is even less hard than yours, and I still have managed to screw up a significant portion of things. Hard disagree. Oh, no. Hard disagree. <laughs> hard. Even harder disagree. <laughs> I literally get paid to make up bullshit stories. <laughs> For a living. You have to you have to move a cursor across a screen and leave words behind. That's, That's insane. No, no, no. I take I take pre-written words <laughs> and I teach people how to say them better. <laughs> well, if only you could have been around to teach people how to say words better <laughs> for this episode. Which is episode 12 of Swan's Crossing, and this is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I am Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. And here we are. We just just watched episode 12, and what an episode it was. At least there was a lovely sort of string of cause and effect. It was, you know, in in terms of like where we are in the, the journey of these writers and their characters... This seemed like an episode where things caused other things to happen. And really, that's not a foregone conclusion when doing a Swan's Crossing episode. It's really not. Um, yeah, there, there was actually some story cohesion here. There was uh, narrative tension. There was, a, as you said, a connection between cause and effect. As a professional story person myself... I found this one of the more satisfying episodes while simultaneously being one of the more bizarre episodes, too. Oh, I have to agree. I have to agree. Let's get into it, shall we? Let us. Let's uh, let's take a look at your predictions from last time. Oh, gosh. You predicted we would be out of the cafe. Crushed it. We mostly were. No, no, we were out of the cafe the entire time. That's true. There's a good number of scenes that happen just outside the cafe. I mean, literally inches from the cafe, but still, it counts. A whisper. A whisper from the cafe. (laughs) You predicted we would open on the Baldies or the computer feds doing more computer things. None of them this episode. That didn't happen. You said no jazz because maybe she'd be in prison for sexually harassing Neil. <laughs> Can't say whether she's in prison or not, though she probably deserves to be. However, she was not in this episode. Well done. Listen, there's a there a case can be made for a lot of prison like behavior in this episode. Jazz jazz notwithstanding. <laughs> That's true. Uh, You figured we would have a post-party episode where JT and Glory would do flirty stuff, would be interrupted by Neil, and we would be back at Neil's house. That did not happen. That's going on my prediction list for next episode because we got none of them. We got none of our core romantic, weird romantic triangle. You (laughs) predicted the mayoral race would really heat up and Sydney would get very involved in her mom's campaign. That didn't happen this time. Oh, oh. 
Uh, you figured Garrett and Mila would finally do swimming lesson number two. That did happen. Crushed it. Crushed it. And you figured Mila would go to Owen's studio for a singing lesson. Sandy would feel threatened by their blossoming relationship. Yeah, that didn't happen that didn't at happen. all. Still, you were like roughly 50-50, maybe a little better than that. I that's, think it's, it's your best prediction spate so far. I think that's true. I, I think I'm really, like, for Swan's Crossing, nailed it. Nailed it. I think in this, I think 50% is the best I can ever hope. I to agree. Get. I think that's probably shooting for the stars. Well, we open on the Countess. She is wearing an eye mask made of that blue icy stuff that you put on to reduce swelling, but it is trimmed in lace. <laughs> I also want to note <laughs> Tutu is on her shoulder in the shot. From the very beginning. And this shot is crowded, people. It is pretty close in. And you're getting, like, like facial details of Tutu that you don't normally get. You can see all of Tutu's weird little nubs in place of eyelashes. Yeah. Which is what birds have. Um, he's chewing on her earring. And the Countess says, Darling, your Fiji fantasy feast can wait. It always gives you heartburn. I thought she was talking to the bird at first. Oh, I thought I thought she was talking to Mila's father, whoever that might be. Fiji fantasy feast. Right? <laughs> Listen. That sounds if, like a really bad porno title. If I were if I were married to the Countess, what do you think I would be booking my vacations to do? Oh, for sure. The the, the camera sort of pans back a little bit to reveal that she is actually speaking on her conch cell phone. Not not even cell phone. Her conch phone phone. But the conch phone phone with the cord coming out the bottom also has an antenna. <laughs> well, she needs the antenna for extra reception because she's calling all the way to Fiji. Right. <laughs> yes. She, she rips off her mask and says, I know it's after midnight here, Jack, but I simply can't let this go without telling you. And the doom music begins to play in the background. And she's talking about getting Mila out of Swan's Crossing, how it was a huge mistake to bring her here. She needs to get her back to the real world of Hollywood. The real world of Hollywood, yes. Which is really one of my favorite ideas so far in this series. And Tutu keeps interrupting. (laughs) Yes. That's important to, to note. I think Jack is Mila's agent, is that correct? You are correct, although right. you'll you'll learn more about Jack later. Okay. That's do we great. ever meet Jack? Does Jack ever come on screen? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, boy. And you're going to love it. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. Yeah, so, so the Countess is clearly distressed because Mila will refuse to go back to work as a child star, and she only wants to hang around Swan's Crossing being a normal, non-child labor kid. And she can't hear Jack for a second. The Countess can't hear Jack for a second. She looks at her conch phone which is now now has that huge antenna extended and she says these phone lines to Fiji are so fuzzy so I guess forced fantastical phraseology is the fashion of the day <laughs> thank you it took me about three minutes to look up all those on thesaurus.com you're a professional word person I am so the Countess and Jack had an idea to make Mila do a new TV series and the music turns from doom to the psycho knife thrust screech so, either the Countess is going to make Mila get back to work, or she's going to murder her. One of those two things is going to happen. It's not the last time we hear the psycho the psycho screech no, this it, episode. It really gets its money's worth in oh this episode. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then we cut to this one soda shop exterior, where Garrett, Sydney, and Ralph are uh, there with the convertible and Mila. Mila's thanking all of them for warning her for the dance. Mila is going on and on, and Garrett and Sydney are just staring at each other. Oh, yeah. Like two profoundly horny teenagers. Yeah, I also felt it very important to include in my notes that uh, Ralph appears to have parked the Rutledge's convertible on the sidewalk because it is mere inches from the restaurant door. Well, how else were they going to get it into the shot? Their studio is not that big. Obviously, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, so Mila's thanking them all. Garrett says... Well, there was a lot going on, to which Sydney replies wryly, you're not kidding. Yeah. Uh, Mila waxes ecstatic about how this real life is so real, and Sydney makes another snarky comment under her breath, and Garrett reminds her that she didn't have a bad time. One of my favorite things that Mila says in this interchange is, 
It's as if I've crossed an invisible line. I'm not some china doll on someone's shelf. I don't have to be protected. What are you talking about? Also, while she's saying all this stuff, the camera zooms slowly in on Sydney for her reaction, but I think she missed her cue because she just doesn't react. She's just kind of looking off into the corner of the set with a very neutral expression. Someone, someone has just failed to inform Sydney that the camera is on her. And no one thought to call cut and be like, uh, Sarah Michelle, you gotta give us reaction. You're gonna that, need a little, little more. A little more. Right. Out of nowhere, Mila's like, hey, where's Jimmy? He raced out so fast. Right, and uh, Callie is a little anxious again because she's like, yeah, where is Jimmy? Mila says she has a message for him and Garrett's like, I'll give him the message. <laughs> and then Mila kisses him on the cheek right in front of Sydney. Bah, bah, bah. Sydney immediately wipes it off. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 her like Mila's lips have barely moved off of <laughs> Garrett's cheek and she's like right in there with her thumb. <laughs> I think it's important to know, because I don't think we said it before, Callie has been in this scene the whole time looking bored as fuck. I don't blame her. These She's self-involved so, kids are just like, like blah, 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 about So themselves. worried about Jimmy. Yeah. And just not at all having it. Speaking of Jimmy, we cut to the wreckage of his bike, and we hear him say, all echoey like he does. Nowhere, Nowhere, everywhere, everywhere riding. riding. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's that's the replay of, of what he told Callie in the last episode. And then this, his first line in this episode, he's he's laying there on the ground. His helmet is off. He, he, he pulls himself off the ground a little bit and goes, Oh, my bike. <laughs> <laughs> also, over this very serious footage of Jimmy all wrecked to hell... There's this weird music playing. It's kind of like the music you'd hear at a child's birthday party while a hired clown is performing. It's like... It's very inappropriate for the gravity of the scene. And then we get the opening credits. We do indeed. And we're back to Swans. Mila and Sydney are in the car. Garrett's outside of the car. Ralph is sitting in the driver's seat, just waiting to be told to use his pedal, I assume. <laughs> You almost made me shoot coffee out my nose, and my nasal passages cannot handle that. I I had to have a COVID test yesterday, and you oh, know what that's like. Oh, no! I know, because I had to go to my asthma doctor, and they just COVID test you all the time, even apparently if you're vaccinated and can prove it. And then this morning, while I was rushing in the shower to get here on time, I snorted my salicylic acid face wash straight up oh, no. into my sinuses. This is the content that people are here for. <laughs> Oh, the inside of my skull is just not having a good 24 oh, hours. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That okay. sucks. Anyway. So, uh, Garrett says he'll see them later, and Mila and Sydney answer in unison, See, see you tomorrow. tomorrow. And Sydney gives this look back at Mila like, How dare you use the same words <laughs> as me? And Garrett smirks as they drive away, because he's the hottest item in 8th grade society in all of Swan's Crossing, and, which I remind you is a tiny town anyway. And he uses his famous catchphrase. Ooh. I love myself. It's always the same. It's the same inflection. It's the same. It's amazing. Did you have a catchphrase when you were 14 that you just muttered during times of great triumph? I did not that I recall. I did some weird shit when I was 14. I mean, you're a theater kid, so I assume yeah. that goes without saying. Yeah. Callie drives up on her scooter in her gold dress. Yes. And he mocks her. Like there's some there's some weird tension here. I I didn't the first interaction between them I did not quite clock. Well, he he says, "Hey, how'd you learn to rock like that?" Which is interesting because we never saw her rocking per se. And he says, "Is that how people on submarines do it?" Like that was just such a weird like this dialogue. <sighs> Callie basically tells him to cut the shit and she's like, "I need your help." He gets all snarky then over how there's something Callie can't do herself. Right. And then she says, sometimes it's really hard not to punch you. I mean, truer words were never spoken. I, I feel her in my bones on this. Like, it is so hard not to punch him. She asks which way Jimmy went home. And he's all, why you wanna know? <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like, Callie's gonna go chasing after Jimmy's dick. Right. <laughs> She gets pissed off, starts to leave. He relents, gives her directions along the old country road. And then she asks for him to come with her. Which is possibly... We've seen Callie do a lot of amazing things. Probably her first mistake on the show. Yeah. Because, like, 
I don't even know how to describe how out of character the next moment is for Callie, because Callie is set up as this intelligent, thoughtful person who has her shit together and can see through everyone's crap. Has right? a moral compass. Right. Has empathy. And most of all, she she understands that the majority of people in this town are ridiculous bullshit. Yeah. And they should not be taken seriously. And for some reason, all that just goes straight out the window in the next scene where she's like, hey, can you just ride with me to make sure Jimmy got home okay? And he's, he's like, I'll just give you directions. And she's like, okay, well, can you keep a secret? Okay, Callie. Callie. The... Answer is obviously already no. 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 And then she sort of vaguely threatens him, like, oh, if you tell anyone. And then Garrett says, trust me, which is exactly a thing no one should do with Garrett. And Callie should know that. A hundred percent. Then he holds up crossed fingers saying Scout's Honor. Callie uncrosses his fingers for him and puts up one more finger because that's not the Boy Scout salute. And like, what is she doing? The universe is waving so many red flags in front of her right now and she's just ignoring them all. Which like, if this were Sydney or someone, fine. But it's Callie. Right. Come on. Right. And and she confides in him that she's scared of the dark and she wants a buddy to go with her on this trip to try and find Jimmy. And he's all like, you live a hundred feet under the water and you're scared of the dark? <laughs> it's great. But he finally does agree to ride with her because, and I quote, Young James Clayton is my friend, which is not a thing any teenage boy has ever said about his friend. Mm, young James Clayton. Young James Clayton. So we see the Rutledge convertible driving down the road. It's it's a more believable set. Wait, 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 wait. After yeah, she rides it. off, he says, I'll make sure the boogeyman doesn't get you. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? You are the boogeyman. Garrett, it is you. Yeah, he's a predator. Callie, you in danger, girl. We see the Rutledge convertible driving down the road, a more believable set than we usually get on the show with the car like kind of gently rocking as if it's in motion. There There's does appear breeze. to be wind. Yeah, yeah, it's like blowing back the girl's hair. Mm-hmm. Mila will not shut up. Oh my gosh, she just keeps talking. Oh, she just blah, 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 blah. And then she tells Ralph that he should have been there, to which Ralph replies, yes, miss, I'm sure the joint was jumping. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph has taken on in this series... The the beautiful trope of the understated butler, mm-hmm. which is a thing in literature and fiction and uh, plays, stories, television. It's wonderful, and Ralph is doing a great job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. Mila, like, while she's just yakking and running her mouth, too, she also reveals that Nancy asked her if she colors her hair, which is a brilliant moment. Of course Nancy said that. She is our queen and goddess. I miss Nancy. I missed Nancy in this episode. I know, I was very sad very without much. her. Mila's just like going over all the gossip, Jimmy and Sophia. Saja said she was a princess in her last life. Jory and T really like each other. Must be nice to be liked that much. Like, never love, always like. Never love. Um, she does, she mentions JT and Neil, and then she says, Mama says men who aren't smart aren't very, men who are smart aren't very cute, but she sure is wrong about JT and Neil. I don't know why that line cracks me up so much, but like this thing of the countess like trying to teach her daughter the ways of life and be like listen smart dudes they're dogs they're ugly (laughs) they're so ugly which is not true anyway but also maybe it's just because it kind of inverts the trope that usually the stereotype that usually flows in the opposite direction where like smart women are not hot traditionally in in american media um so it's funny to see it turned on its head my favorite my favorite little snippet from this scene is uh, when she's talking about Callie, Mila says, living on a sub is cooler than anything I've done on TV. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You've done so much like wild <laughs> shit on Afternoon Dreams or Three O'Clock Dreams or whatever it was. Yeah, she's been in avalanches. She's been in cave-ins. She's been sex trafficked by an adult man. <laughs> She ended up in the hospital with third degree burns. I mean, everything. She's done it all. Sydney is clearly dying from Mila's incessant talking. I understand how this feels because my husband, who is the dearest man in the world, and I love him to death, uh, talks the exact same way. And sometimes it does make me die inside. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) stop. He will just go on. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I've not not experienced that with Paul. You will if you come over on the 4th. I probably, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Brace yourself. 
Mila sort of ends this by saying that she's so glad she's out of show business. It's much more fun being ordinary. I have so much to learn from you, Sydney. Sydney seems utterly shocked like this by this. Oh yeah. As does Ralph. <laughs> There's this weird <laughs> shot of Ralph where Ralph's jaw kind of drops open and his eyes get real. <laughs> yeah, I think what's going through his head is like, oh shit, Sydney's gonna be mad. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, Sydney sees an opportunity to pump Mila for her feelings about Garrett. So she asks her, like, oh, what do you think of Garrett? And she's like, oh, he's so nice, and there's something special about him. Yes, that specialness you detect is psychopathy. Yeah, <laughs> and he told her about the big game coming up against Newport, and I was like, aha, the next big event. What's going to go massively wrong at this one? Oh, yeah. Can't wait, the bandstand collapses. Everyone, I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. We'll yeah. see what your predictions entail. Um, Garrett told Mila that he is going to be the star pitcher, but he'll he'll throw even better if Mila's there to watch him. So we mm. get more doom stares from Sydney yes. on that line. And then we cut to Garrett arriving at the crash site. Jimmy is still on the ground, has not really moved. And I I wanna call out this beautiful outdoor set that they've created. <laughs> it is lovely. Because it has plastic plants, these, this great blue lighting. I mean, this is peak 1990s. Like, this looks like it was filmed in a television studio on roughly eight, eight like an 8x8 eight eight square. Oh, yeah. It's great. It is awesome. Um, Garrett is yelling at Jimmy, and he's like, Oh, there's no girl worth this kind of, you know, like, oh, no girl's worth this. Uh, not even Sophia. And Jimmy is all chagrined because Callie's there to gloat over how she told him not to downshift too fast, and he did, and now he wrecked his bike, and a girl knows more than he does. Yep. And there's this snide sparring between Callie and Jimmy, and Garrett's all like, be nice. She dragged me down here. Gets these feelings like some kind of antenna or something. Does Callie have ESP? Mm. I want nothing more than a spinoff series where Callie <laughs> Walker runs around Swan's Crossing solving crimes. Oh my god. If we write this... I would watch the hell out of this. If we write this, do you think we could get Stacey Mosley to revive her role? Oh my god. Oh, what it's about like, like 30 a, years like later? Like an audio drama oh, yeah. of Callie Walker. <gasps> Callie Walker, Swan's Crossing, The Return. Stacy, get at us. I'm serious. Like, let's do this. <laughs> okay. It's clear Jimmy's shoulder is trashed. Garrett freaks out because the Newport game is in two days. And Saja will have to take Dimmy's. Jimmy's place on third base. Garrett reveals that Jimmy has a history of injuring his right shoulder two days before big games. Same thing happened last year. He's showing off on his horse for Sophia two days before the polo match, and wham, same shoulder. We were killed. <laughs> killed. Callie points out that Jimmy was almost killed, for reals, in a motorcycle wreck. So why is Garrett freaking out about a game? Garrett and Callie have this, like, full-on yelling match at each other. Over Jimmy, who's yeah. still laying on the ground. Jimmy's They're making no there. effort to <laughs> pick him up, help him to, like, like no ambulance has been called. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, he's just down there. Callie finally points out, Garrett's like, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And Garrett uh, insists that this is like, the worst, like, losing is the worst thing in the world. He finally finishes by saying... I don't like to lose. And the look in his eye when he delivers this line is truly psychotic. It is crazy. He is about to flay Callie alive and make a suit out of her skin. 100%. He turns around. She, she asks him, you're afraid of losing. He says, always. She goes, it shows. He turns around but doesn't leave. I want to point out there are several lines in this scene that seem like great exit lines. Like Garrett could have like <laughs> said something, walked off, and it would have been a great way to exit the scene. He never leaves. Because the set is only eight feet wide. <laughs> Kelly uh, crouches down next to Jimmy again. He tells her very specifically, no acupressure. <laughs> he does. And then Garrett wings back around and says, I'd rather be afraid of losing than afraid of the dark. Instead of just ignoring this, which is what would have been the smart thing to do, Callie says, you promised you'd never tell. What the hell? Th but this is so indicative of, like, the middle school experience. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's that the ultimate betrayal yeah. of middle school is having your your secrets told by someone that you trusted. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh. Totally. Garrett says, or, or, or Callie says, Scout's on, or remember? And Garrett goes, yeah, well, 
I was never a scout. We know, Garrett. We know. You are incompetent. Then he finally walks away, and Jimmy laughs at Callie for being scared of the dark. Jimmy is such an ass. (laughs) And commercial break. Yes. We come back to Mila's room. So much pink. Oh Oh my my gosh. It's very pink. She's on the red phone with Sandy, talking about the dancing. Mila asks her to hold, picks up the call waiting. So rich people do have call waiting. Of course. Of course they do. It's important. Countess comes up through the elevator and is sort of watching from the doorway. I feel like in all the previous episodes, the door had made noise when it opened. Like, even just like the sliding. I think there was a ding, wasn't there? Something. It is silent as the grave. (laughs) It's it's dead silent when the Countess needs it to be. Exactly. She's got a perpetual, like, shroud of silence around her (laughs) when she, she moves through the house like a sorceress. Well, we already established that Swan's Crossing is in the fairy realm, so maybe she can do that. I assume so. The call waiting is Nancy, so so Mila is now holding a conversation with Sandy and Nancy on the different lines. She advises lemon juice to get the cake out of Nancy's hair. Is this a thing? Like, does shampoo not get cake out of hair? I don't normally think of cake as being super sticky. It's it's actually not the cake she's talking about. She's This is a callback to where she said Nancy asked her if she dyes or if she colors her hair. So she's telling her, put lemon juice in your hair to make your blonde highlights blonder. Oh! Yeah. Okay. It does Thank work. You. It works. We used to do that in our hair in the 90s. It works, and it also gives you terrible split ends. <laughs> Very bad. Our, I don't think our listeners know this. Oh, they might from our from our logo, but I am bald. Yes. And I have not had a haircut in ages, so... Well, there's no hair to cut. Exactly. So you would not understand the lore of lightening one's hair with I, lemon no, juice. That's fine. No. Um, Mila switches back to Sandy, goes on about how everybody's been calling all morning. She feels like she's known known you guys all her life. The Countess is hearing all of this from the elevator, and I think she's starting to get like second thoughts about... Should I? Every time the Countess seems determined that they're going to get out of Swan's Crossing, something happens that makes her sort of second guess. Yeah, which is a good good storytelling device. Good job on the writers there for, for using story appropriately. It's nice. It's it nice. It is nice. Uh, Sandy invites her to do something. Mila's like, sure, I'd love to. Actually, my birthday's not for another three months. <laughs> I'd like to try that, but I'm not sure my mother's going to recover from this party by then. And the Countess does kind of roll her eyes at that line. She's yep. like, oh, the party. <laughs> and then uh, she gets another, she hangs up with Sandy. She gets another call and she answers it. Rovznowski party line. And Garrett is heard on the other end going, what? <laughs> Garrett is the first person we hear on the other end of the phone in this whole scene. And I'm like, pick a convention. I know. Either you can hear the person on the other end of the phone or you can't. It's so frustrating. It's so weird. But yeah, Garrett convinces her to do another swimming lesson. Garrett's on the porch outside of his own home. And his opening line to Mila is, first you make a splash and then you take the cake. To which Mila responds, you've been thinking of that one all morning? He goes, yeah, I wrote it down. And she says, no, you didn't. And then he crumples up this paper in his hand and goes, yeah, yeah, it just came to me. And tosses it away. Garrett is such a smooth operator that he literally writes down lines he's going to use on girls and then reads them off. Like, he doesn't memorize the lines. He doesn't compose them and commit them to memory. He reads them off of notebook paper. Yeah. Smooth yeah. operator. And then he just chucks the note the note paper away from himself on the porch, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> it is great. Just chucks it. Mila says she's going to grab her swimming suit and meet him at the club. After Garrett hangs up, he says to the phone, and please make it the little gold one with the stripes. And he says it in the most leering, perverted, illicit boner way you can possibly imagine. I cannot tell you, dear listeners. How upsetting this is. It was really gross. It is so, so gross. So, also, how did Garrett know about that swimming suit? He's only ever seen her in the pink one piece. Right? Yeah. Maybe Sydney told him? (laughs) The swimsuit did make quite an impression on Sydney. We do know that. That's true. Speaking of Sydney, he immediately calls her. She's lying in the back of the convertible for no apparent reason. Yeah. She tells him he's got to talk fast because Ralph might catch them talking if he comes out to use the car for it is library day. Tuesday is library day. (laughs) And also the way she says it is really good. Tuesday is library day. (laughs) Like she just despises Ralph for going to the library on 
Tuesdays. Really? Who uses the library? Ugh. Ralph? Books, blah. Oh my gosh. You know, it does occur to me, uh, we went to the library a lot when I was a kid. Like, a ton. And I have not been inside of a library probably since... Leaving Seattle, I mean, I like I would go to the drama library quite a bit at my old job, but this has probably been like four or five years since I've been inside a library. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was really into the library too as a kid because uh, I grew up very poor, and it was the only fun thing I could do because it was free, mm-hmm. and also like we did not have money for you know bus fare or anything, so I would just walk to the library and back to get my books. Um, I recently went back to my old childhood neighborhood and I just out of curiosity, I drove the route from the house I grew up in to the library and back. It is 11 miles round trip. So I would just every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I would just walk 11 miles. <laughs> and then like almost every I'm day sorry, in the summer. It was five and a half miles to the library. Yes. Five and a half miles back. Yep. And as a child, you walked that. Yes, because it was the 90s and people didn't care if their kids were out walking, which I think <clears throat> is probably mostly good for, for people to not be so afraid of their kids walking around. But yeah, I walked 11 miles at least once a week as a child. No wonder I was skinny as a rail back then. And you were carrying, like, when you were carrying, like, books. Yeah, I had a backpack and I would, yeah. like, put my books in my backpack, walk back, read them, oh take them back, you know, the next Gosh. Week. I mean, that was, that was what I could do because uh, we had no money. <laughs> I think great. the farthest I ever lived from a library was, like, two miles. Oh, lucky you. Well, we were in cities most of the time yeah. growing up and, geez Louise. Yep. Wow. wow. Yep. Anyway, let's see, where were we? <laughs> So Garrett's upset because, you know, they've got to be careful who even hears them talking. And and he's like, nothing's ever easy for us, but I'm still following all the rules. Yeah, they have this little scene where they're they're really congratulatory to themselves about how sneaky they are and how well they're following the rules. He asks if she found anything on her doorstep. She pulls out a red rose as the synth comes in. No, 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 no. She pulls up a pink rose and she says it's a red rose. (laughs) That motherfucker is pink. (laughs) It's also got some baby's breath with it, which is just delightful to me. Like, because that means, that means he actually like had to get it from a florist. It's not like baby's breath and roses grow in the same place. Well, unless, is this a rich people thing? Is that, do you plant baby's breath next to your roses? Get at us, rich people. So anyway, um, Sydney says the rose was beautiful and Garrett says, that's exactly what Mila said. And... Sydney loses it for oh, yeah. a brief moment because Garrett promised no roses to Mila. Yeah, and he laughs and he's like, huh, gotcha. And I just wrote in my notes, Sydney, why are you wasting your precious time on this stupid mean boy? Yeah. He's just like, there's no merit to him. He, he just is sucks. The worst. He sent it to her for being such a good sport, wanted to celebrate the first week of their deal. And then he tells, he asks Sydney to come to practice, the baseball practice, and then asks her to bring Mila so then he can see them all together. I I grew up playing baseball for a couple years. Never did anyone come watch our practices. Never. Girls, adults, yeah. anyone. It was the chance that adults had to be rid of us yeah. for an hour or two. Because it's, it's boring to watch people practice it's a sport. so boring. Like, none of the points anyone's scoring count. You know, it, it's not fun. It's just, you're literally just practicing your skills for the game, is, which is the fun part. But it seems tremendously important to all of the boys in Ugh. Swan's Crossing that the ladies show up to watch them practice. Let me tell you, the 90s were the most misogynistic trash pile of a decade. Like, ugh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I could do a whole podcast just about that, but I won't. Anyway, uh, Garrett suggests after practice, he and Sydney and Mila can go to get a soda at Swan's, to which Sydney replies, right, one soda, three straws. <laughs> and then we get a lovely line flub from Garrett as he stumbles to get out the, the line, you have to come to the Newport game. I'm going to pitch if there's any justice. <laughs> if there's any justice. Oh my god. Sydney symbolically pricks her finger on one of the rose's thorns, and Garrett says, I hope your shoulder's feeling better. See you at practice later. And she's like, what? <laughs> and then the camera cuts back to him, and we see that his dad has come up behind him on the porch, so it was all a cover. It's Grant Booth, and I just want to say, this actor has a voice. He like, does. He has this gorgeous, rich, like, bass baritone sound. Oh, 
My goodness. He does, and I actually, I'm, I really like the way he portrays Grant Booth, too. Like, yeah. he's believable as a smarmy douchebag guy. Yeah, absolutely. But not so, he's definitely, at least to my understanding, we're only, you know, a couple weeks into this series, but he seems less douchey than his son. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I feel like Grant, I feel like he really put a lot of thought into developing his character. Yeah. Like, it, it shows. He's Grant Booth is not just a villain, which is kind of how he's written, but mm-hmm. he plays him as a guy who actually has, like, his own story going on behind the scenes. Right. And he gets a phone call. <laughs> he looks over it. He looks over at Garrett and is like, it's not for you. <laughs> I am used to, at this point, you getting all of the phone calls because I've come to grips with the fact that you're way more popular than I am as a child. <sighs> but... This one's not for you. Yeah, although he probably wishes it was for Garrett because it turns out it's some guy named Jerry who's calling on behalf of Mayor Rutledge and he's chewing Grant out over the records he lost. Hey kids, remember the days before everything was on computers and all the things on the computers were in the cloud? I do. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for a very large corporation in the file room, and my sole job was to keep paper files organized. I mean, imagine that shit. I can't even comprehend it now, and I lived the life. And honestly, I could probably write a whole book about the weird shit that went on in that file room. I worked with two other people. Each of them was also in their very early 20s. One was a young woman, the other was a young man. They desperately wanted to have sex with each other. And you were there. (laughs) But they couldn't. Oh, it gets better. They couldn't, because the young woman was a Jehovah's Witness. (gasps) So over the course of our time working, trapped together, the three of us in this file room, she forced him to convert to the Jehovah's Witness religion and then marry her just to get into her pants. And all this time, I was a Mormon. So you can imagine the kind of weird energy that was flying around the file room every day. So much repression in Ah, one space. It was so weird. I I have to. I have to write. I have to find a way to like turn this into a novel someday. But I haven't figured out the right angle yet. Gosh! And about the same time, I was like deep into like evangelical fundamentalism. Oh no! Oh yeah, no. Like I, I was. I'm, I'm. like very like I grew up in an extremely conservative house. Oh really? Yeah. Were you guys like into the Bill Gothard stuff? Or... Yes. Oh no. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Side note: You got to check out a podcast called Someplace Underneath, which is just a great podcast anyway. It's about mm-hmm. like cases that involve missing women, and they're doing a whole series right now on like Bill Gothard's whole weird thing and like all the women who've been impacted in a criminal way by it. It's really good. Oh my gosh. It's okay. Really good. It's also weirdly funny. Like they're funny and still they cover all this heavy shit. So yeah. yeah. Just one of the many horrible things that was wrong for women in the 90s. Oh yeah. One of many, many things. Oh my gosh. Anyway, Garrett throws an orange at his dad and then leaves and we're left with Grant Booth arguing with Jerry on the phone. He says... Is Jerry Mayor Rutledge's, like, number two? Because I the feel like... The assistant we've yeah, seen with her? I feel like that's who was talking to her as we were leading up to the 4th of July. It must be. I don't think we're ever actually given that guy's name, so let's just call him Jerry. Jerry. It's Jerry. Jerry's chewing him out. He says his family has been in this town for six generations, which is two generations longer than the Rutledge's, noto bene. And... <laughs> And he knows everyone who's ever lived, died, or gotten a speeding ticket in Swan's Crossing. Who is he looking for, Nathan? Professor Van. Dun, dun, dun. There is no Professor Van. Never. No one has ever lived in Swan's Crossing by the name of Professor Van. Grant Booth doesn't need the lost records to know that. We cut to the pool. (laughs) This is the first time that we've seen more of the pool than just the space that... Mila and Garrett take up in it. And I want to, I cannot emphasize this enough. The pool is tiny. <laughs> it is. It's very, the pool very small. Is itsy beatsy. And there are three swans floating in it uh, fake swans, the fake inflatable swans. Yes. It's amazing. Muffy is sitting at a little table beside the pool, reading a newspaper with the headline, Stars Party Explodes. And she's just sort of laughing over it. It's really, it's quite amusing, mostly because it's very obviously like a, like an establishing shot. <laughs> and so she's been told to not really move the paper. Yeah. So she's not actually reading. She's responding for a very long time to the headline. It goes on way too long. And she's oh. just kind of like, 
<laughs> the countess Pause. the countess comes in and she and Muffy start having a conversation and the children in the background noise are so <laughs> loud it is almost impossible to hear what is said between these two women. It is. But we do make out that uh, the countess declares the party last night an act of hooliganism and she wants Muffy to put all the teenagers under house arrest for yeah. said acts of hooliganism. And remove their passports. Yes. She, <laughs> when, when Muffy kind of brushes her off about the house arrest, she, she, the countess suggests other punishments in escalating order of horribleness which are as follows. Make them Molons. Take away their passports. Bar them from the country club. <laughs> Muffy says, like our mothers did to us, I guess setting yourself up as the progressive parent of Swan's Crossing, and thus begins a very strange and tedious scene, which I'm curious about your feelings about it, Nathan. Well, I think I think we need to describe, first of all, we need to set the visual picture here. Muffy gets off of the seat that she is sitting on, crosses to the edge of the pool, the Countess kneels on a towel, which has conveniently been spread out for this scene right at the edge of the pool. And Muffy lays down on her stomach to, like, pet the swans in the water, the, the fake swans. And Muffy is wearing, like, a full-on businesswoman blazer, <laughs> hair's done nice, and she is laying on her stomach at the edge of a pool with children in bathing suits walking behind her every once in a while. This pool is wet. A pool with chlorine in it. And she's just, and okay. So that's before we even get to the scene. The crux of the scene is the Countess and Muffy reminiscing about the time that they spray painted 20 white swans with Grant Booth. Like in their teenage years. Right, because they were young hooligans, obviously. <laughs> I, there are so many questions. One, 20 white swans, all in the same place. Once you start spray painting one swan, do the others just hang around? Do they scatter? Do you have to chase them down? Do they go into the water? What happens when you start spray painting a swan? They get very detailed about how they spray painted these swans. I think they're referring to inflatable floaty swans, but oh. I am but I am not sure. I mean, they just say swans. They don't say pool swans or anything like that. They okay. just talk about swans. So this is the mid-90s. How yeah. old do you think these characters are? They look like they're in their 50s. So we're talking about teenage years. Late 1950s, early 1960s at the most. At the most. There were no inflatable... There no. were no inflatable swans. Maybe. I think they had just created inflatable beach balls at that point. Yeah, I suppose. I think these are real swans. Hang on a second. Let me consult in my head the entire text of Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov, which is set in 1947 and is my reference point for all things because I've read that book about 20 times. Was there any mention of inflatable things in the pool? Yes, there was something inflatable in a pool at some point in Lolita. There were inflatable things... By the late 1950s, okay. but I don't know if they were swans. Okay, all right. Cannot confirm or deny that. I just want to jump back a moment. How many times have you read Lolita? About 20. Cool. Cool, 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 I cool. I told you I'm autistic. <laughs> I will just read shit over and over and over again. It's what I do. <laughs> as, as a former Mormon, which have you read more? Lolita or the Book of Mormon? Oh, Lolita for sure. <laughs> the Book of Mormon is so fucking boring, dude. I know. I've read half of it. It's... Real boring. Ugh. Oh my god, put some commas in, Joseph Smith. <laughs> like, I know you dictated that thing out of the middle of a hat, but come on. <laughs> By the way, folks, uh, if you are interested in the history of Mormonism, I have a novel about said, su said subject coming out February 15th, 2022. It is called The Prophet's Wife, and it is available now for pre-order. That's a plug. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I wish I had stuff to plug. I never have stuff to plug. That's okay. This is the thing that I plug. I plug this podcast when I do other stuff. Dear God, you do. <laughs> People are being told to listen to this podcast. I mean... I plug, I'll go on the social meds and I'll find people who have hashtagged something Swans Crossing and I'll follow them just so they know we exist. Um, that's the most effort I put into this, though. Excellent. Anyway, but back, dear, to, back dear to 17 listeners, we love all of you. We love you all so much. Yeah. The entirety of the scene, though, as, as they're talking, just the way, the, the feel of it, the back and forth, the way it's performed, 
I hope you will forgive me for what I'm about to say, Nathan, because it feels to me like a dialogue one is forced to sit through while attending, say, a playwrights festival (laughs) at a a small town community theater. (laughs) How dare you? You know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. Now, okay, we clearly both love community theater, especially in small towns. It is even the hub around which your entire life revolves. But, like, there are always moments in any small town community theater production of any sort that just make you go, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This, this, feels, this feels like stuff that got cut from our town. <laughs> Solid theater joke. We may be the only people who get that, but it was solid. <laughs> Cut from our town might have to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Cut from our town. Uh, anyway, though, um, this Grant Booth, apparently, when he was a teenager, made some comment about how he wants to be a psychedelic artist while he's painting these swans, which may or may not be living birds. I just want to... Because when I look at the man playing Grant Booth, the first thing that comes to my mind is, yes, that guy wanted to be a psychedelic artist. This this middle, this middle upper middle class life that he is living is a torture to his artistic soul. Definitely. And uh, Muffy and the Countess yell together, which I suppose is a quote of what Grant said in those days, down with the old masters, up with the psycho swans. Yeah. I feel like that was probably his catchphrase in much the same way that his son Garrett says, I love myself. If, if Joan Didion were to write a novel about Swans Crossing, it would be called The Psycho Swans. And then apparently after spray painting all of the swans, they then spray painted Grant Booth. Right, and it took him all summer to get the paint off. That's not how spray paint works. Maybe if you never shower, though. I mean, maybe Grant Booth had poor personal hygiene. That was then. part of his. That was part of his psycho swan phase. <laughs> the was, lack of personal hygiene. He was. He was like into the beat scene back then. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I don't need your oppressive showers, <laughs> man. <laughs> and then uh, Muffy. Wait, no, the Countess. Who has the idea of to keep the daughters from painting the swans? I think it's Muffy. Yeah, and it seems like they're gonna. She and the Countess are gonna hatch. A plot to keep Mila and Sydney from getting into trouble. Yeah, from like vandalizing property, which is not really something I foresee either of them doing. Maybe though, maybe this is their code word way of talking about let's keep them away from Garrett Booth's dick. Yes. Because clearly that boy is going to impregnate somebody. Oh, definitely. Boy. Definitely. We never hear their idea though because we cut to Jimmy and Callie at the Tool and Die. Right. And uh, Callie seems to be working on Jimmy's bike. And asking Jimmy for a lot of tools in easily the most <laughs> sexualized, like, string of innuendos that we've had this episode. It's really wonderful. <laughs> she wants great. his extender. <laughs> Give me your extender. <laughs> Jimmy's still being kind of a shit, though. Um, and Callie's just kind of taking it in good stride. And Jimmy finally asks her, why don't you say I told you so? And Callie's like, everybody needs to go out and look stupid sometimes. It clears the air for new things. Callie Walker. Callie, why? And also, Jimmy is such a dense motherfucker that he doesn't even pick up what she's putting down, even though she dropped it on his head like a cartoon anvil. No clue, this young man. Um, Fats comes into into the shop. He's in the doorway he shakes someone's hand off, like, the hand comes through the doorway, shakes Fat's hand. He says, welcome to Swan's Cross- Crossing, and we get really ominous music. While Fat sort of looks suspiciously at Jimmy and Callie. Yeah. Like, again, it feels like everyone is plotting to murder everyone else in this show. A hundred percent. It's very 100%. weird. In the pool, Garrett is teaching Mila how to hold her breath underwater, and oh no, she is in fact wearing... The gold bikini. Yeah. But it's not, like, horribly revealing. I mean... It's it's not. It's still a string bikini on a young girl, but, you know, everything's covered up. Yes, everything is covered up. <laughs> she, she pops out of the water and spits water all over Garrett playfully. He tries to dunk her. And then we see Sydney standing poolside, staring at them. She turns around to the camera. Her hair, I need to <laughs> note, is just quaffed to perfection. She really blew it out. Like, it is amazing. And then she stares at the camera and we get end credits. Oh, but right before the credits roll, we get the signature clicky music, which means Sydney plotting something. 
good. The wheels of the plotting mechanism have rolled back into motion. Yep. Nathan, who is our psychopath of the week? Ooh. That's a tough call this week. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Who do you I, think? Who th- I feel like it has to be Garrett just because of the weird, creepy way he, like, psychically commands Mila to wear the gold bikini yeah. and how bonery his dialogue is in that one. Like, it was really weird. It's really nasty. Okay. And we're, then we're also, also uh, Garrett Garrett, and it just, like, his utter betrayal of Callie's trust, which yeah. she should have known better, obviously, but still, still a psychotic and terrible thing to do. Yes. Did yeah. you get our swan count? Four new fake swans, which is more than normal. So we are up to one imaginary swan, 24 actual swans, and 45 fake swans. That's a lot of fake swans. It's a lot of fake swans and one tiny pool. (laughs) (laughs) One tiny pool. All four of those fake swans are crammed into the tiny pool. Yeah. What are your predictions? My predictions are we get way less Milo Sidney Garrett next episode. I think that the person off screen in Fats' shop is either the Baldies or the FBI guys. And we're going to get some sort of like beginning of the investigation in Swan's Crossing uh, with them there. I think the next week we're going to get back to JT Neal and Glory. I think they're going to be at Neal's house. They're, I think they're going to be working on something physical for the, the UB2B. Uh, so like a like not a rocket or whatever, but like something that de- deals with their science experiment. Okay. And Glory is going to be trying to get JT's attention. Neil obviously doesn't let that happen. We might get a little bit of like prep for baseball practice, but I don't think we get baseball practice yet in the next episode. <sighs> There's not really a good place to fit Nancy into the next thing. So I don't think we get any any Nancy. I don't think we get anything in the soda shop. Uh, that's everything I got. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out how right or wrong you might be next week. And uh, in the meantime, folks, please feel free to get in touch with us on social media, on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod, and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. Yes. And until next week, my friends, may all your swans be psychedelic. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Uh, you up for another swimming lesson? Sure. I need to wash the cake out of my hair. I'll grab my bathing suit and meet you at the club. And, uh, please, make it the little gold one with the stripes.